Lord, we're going to be talking about wives and husbands this morning again, and Lord, a subject that, I don't know, Lord, may just seem sort of ordinary, but Lord, it's not. It's something near and dear to your heart, as we're going to find out. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help me to communicate these things in a manner that pleases you and that really helps us, and particularly this morning, Lord, that helps husbands, that helps husbands understand the treasure that they have living within their walls if you've given them a believing wife. And, and so, Lord, please, please help us. And we thank you that you will. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I mean, I just want to keep singing. I feel like that would be maybe just as helpful. You know, some mornings, you know, you come in and you're kind of flat and whatever, for some, whatever reason, in the Lord's good providence, you know, sometimes you get filled and you just get a little taste <laughs> of those powers of the age to come. All right, so, ladies, you'll be happy to know that I'll be spending more time proportionally on the content Peter gives with regard to husbands than I did with wives. Even though it only may be one message. But I want others to be encouraged that I devoted about 180 minutes to six verses in chapter, in chapter 3, 1 through 6, dealing with wives. But I'm going to be devoting proportionally way more time to one verse at least 60 minutes probably, to the verse regarding husbands. So this, this means that, that if husbands were six verses, it'd be about 360 minutes. So basically I'm spending about twice as much time on husbands as I did wives, even though it's only going to be one message. So math helps me out there. But let's read it together. Be looking at verse 7, chapter 3. Verse 7 of, of chapter 3, 1 Peter. Peter's already talked about wives, and now he moves on to husbands. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. At the outset here, I want you to just kind of feel the weight of this verse for your own spiritual fruitfulness as husbands, as husbands and wives in your family. The last verse gives a pretty profound statement here that your prayer life can be hindered. We'll talk about maybe what that means a little bit. If husbands are not doing what Peter says to do here. So you want to be fruitful in the kingdom you got to get your priorities straight, husbands, as it pertains to your wives. It's a big deal on how fruitful you'll be in God's kingdom. And Peter tells us as much. So let's just start looking at it. We'll just kind of wade our way through and see what the Lord has for us. But he starts out by saying, you husbands, in the same way. So he's speaking to husbands, Christian husbands, and he says, in the same way. So in the same way of what? Wives, I don't think he means here husbands submit to wives. He told the wives to submit to the husbands. I think it's 
as I mentioned at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, in the same way there, I think has more of a broad sense of living with excellent behavior that Peter was talking about earlier in the chapter. Now certainly this excellent behavior as it pertained to, to servants, it, it had to do with submission. As it, did, as it was pertained to wives, it had to do with submission. But as it pertains to husbands, it has to do with honoring. But, but the husbands are obligated to live in an excellent way, to have excellent behavior before their wife. They're not let off the hook. It's not wives, do, all, do this, do that, and husbands are off the hook. No, God has expectations for them as husbands. You have a particular focus. This one verse should be memorized by you men. It's only one, after all. I think you can do it. It's important for you to do it. And the Lord doesn't have to say a lot to say a lot. But these phrases, these simple phrases, these terms will help you honor the Lord with your wife if you take them to heart. Now the language that Peter is about to use, it's not really detailed precepts, right? Um, but the, 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 the guidelines that it's set do seep into all the details of the marriage, there are these, it's, it's, it's declarative, it's non-negotiable, but there are guidelines to have excellent behavior as a husband. And the first thing that Peter mentions here is that husbands, in the same way, are to live with their wives in an understanding way. Understanding way. I think the translation communicates ultimately probably what Peter is after, but really... It's sort of a bad translation from the standpoint of translating it from the original. It probably should be living or dwelling with your wives according to knowledge. Or The word is just gnosis. It's there. It just is this idea of knowing. So dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Okay? So the idea here is that husbands, when you're with your wives... At very least, we want to say, you engage your mind <laughs> with reference to your wife. Well, some say that the knowledge here is just this sort of general call to not be foolish in the world or just to have a general scriptural knowledge of marriage and those kinds of things, which, I, which is true. But I think this is assumed. I think the text, though, points in a different, more pointed direction. I think the text is saying that this knowledge is directed toward the wife with whom the husband is dwelling. Husbands, you're living with a wife. Dwell with her according to knowledge. Know her. This means your everyday living with your wives must be sort of a continuing learning experience in which you are to engage with her. You must live with your mind checked in with her. And as you know, knowledge, in the, I mean, knowledge is more than just facts about a person. Knowledge in the scriptures is, is very intimate, right? Very intimate. So intimate, in, in, in fact, that in the Old Testament, right, when the man knew his wife, they had a son. So we're talking about deep intimate relationship here. Deeply intimate relationship. And there it's synonymous with sexual relations. It's also used of our knowing the Lord and the Lord knowing us. 
Again, deeply intimate here. So Peter is, is trying to get at that there must be an intentional knowing intimately of your wife from day to day. As husbands, it's very easy for us to think about future things, about planning things, about where we're going in the broad sense, and we can tend to leave people behind. We can tend to leave precious ones behind, like our wife and our children. We can begin to think that they have the same needs that we do, which may be very little. <laughs> you know, as husbands, as men, we're to be strong, and we're, to, we're built to just sort of take on life. But we have to understand that women are built to cling to us. And we must be ready for that. We must be fit for that. We must understand that. They are not constituted as we are, as men. Peter's going to say that they're weaker. This is extremely important. Our relationship with our wives must be intentional, intimate, and ongoing. Now, just some things I was thinking of as Peter says, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. First of all, I was, saying, I was thinking that this really takes humility. It really takes humility. Humility is that ability to be taught. If, you, if you're a humble person, you're able to be taught. Right? You're not the scoffer. Someone who's able to be taught. So men, husbands, you, you must understand that you don't fully know your wife when you first get married. You, don't, you, don't, you, don't understand, you might think you do. But you don't. And in every season you will be learning. There's a constant education going on here. Have some humility. You must own the fact that you have a lot to learn. You must learn the way she lives, the, the, way she, the things that make her tick. And there's no sense that I can see here that, that we ever stop this. There's no time where she doesn't need you, where she doesn't need your attention. There's a depth to her. Again, there's an education to be had. So humility is vital, but also being attentive. It's sort of overlap here. But again, you can think that you can go through your marriage disregarding the way your wife is or the way she feels or the things she thinks about or what makes her encouraged or what grieves her. And if you, if you neglect this, then you haven't taken Peter's words to heart. If you're not attentive to your wife, if you don't understand her, if you don't understand what really builds her up, what really encourages her day by day, if you begin to just assume that she's fine and you neglect her, then you might end up having a woman that, that is desperately needing your attention and needing encouragement. And you're the one that God has ordained to put in her life to do it, and you don't. So I just recommend just ongoing, intentional efforts to see how your wife is doing. When's the last time you said, Honey, how, how are you doing spiritually? How's it, how, do you, how you doing? I mean, isn't that so simple? But when's the last time you just say, how you doing? What are you struggling with? You know, wives struggle with a lot that's going on in their minds. 
Maybe they're struggling with doubts. Maybe they're struggling with lack of assurance. All these things, and you don't even know. Maybe they've been struggling with it for a couple weeks, and you can help them. These kinds of things, it's very important. Be attentive. There could be things she's probably tried to communicate to you a hundred times that you just haven't haven't registered because you haven't been listening. That can happen very quickly. You haven't tried to know her. I mean, it's clear from the previous passage, from the scriptures we know, that there can be content, a woman can be contentious, she can be nagging. She can think that words will change her husband the more they are spoken. We know that that does not work. But husbands must realize you don't have the option to half listen to your wife. You know? You must know her. You must appreciate her. And please do not think I am up here as some poster child for how to do this well. I am still learning. (laughs) Very much so. I had a lesson like a week or two ago where I've got a little hobby me and the boys are doing. My house, we bought this little bass boat for my neighbor because my boys like to fish and so do I. And we're just tinkering with it. It's just kind of a, it's like a 40-year-old boat. So we're just playing with it and learning some things about wiring and this and that. And there were a couple times where she left and at night and uh, she came back home. And instead of me being inside feeding the kids and having stuff done, I was out there on the boat, you know, with the kids. You know, we were out there together. They wanted to be there. And we were out there, and meanwhile, you know, people haven't eaten, and the house is still kind of messy, and this and that. And she comes back, and it's almost dark, and she's just like, babe, the kid's got to eat, you know, the kid's got to shower, and this and that. I'm like, I know, but, you know, we're in this, and this and that. And so we talked that night, and um, I was like, okay, you know, no problem. Next time, yeah, I'll make sure that I'm sensitive to that. I'll try to only do the boat when I have, you know, 30-minute windows on the weekend, because that's about what it is. So what happens, I don't know, maybe it was three or four days later. I may, I may have done the same thing again. But, you know, I, was, I, I didn't go quite as long working on the boat. She was out again just getting groceries and things. And, and what dawned on me after the third time um, was that, you know, I probably need to listen just a little better. And here's why. Here's why. Because... It's not about, it wasn't in this instance, it wasn't about Paige being picky or wanting to squelch my time with the kids, but it was in a way of helping her. So me not doing that meant the workload for her didn't really change much from when she left doing, doing beneficial things for her family. Coming back home, it's the same mess is still there and the same dinner needs to be cooked and all these things. So it's, it's really more of about preferring her and not trying to indulge my hobby for an hour. So, I, so honoring her would have been, you know what? I want her to come home. I want everything to just be done and for her to feel good about it and then the night to go smooth instead of having an uphill battle after, you know, 8 o'clock. So I'm learning too, husbands, very much so. Well, one thing that's wonderful about this passage is that there's some optimism built into it, right? 
that, that you can grow in the knowledge of your wife. You can do this. I'm always encouraged at that. You can. The command to live with your wife according to knowledge assumes you can do this by the Spirit. With love. And you know, so, so, so what you can know, husbands, is that knowing your wife in this way is God's will. And that's a wonderful thing because we know that in 1 John 5, God answers the prayers when they're prayed according to his will. Think about it. You can start praying today, Lord, your word says, I want to dwell with my wife according to knowledge. Help me do this. This is your will. This is precious to you. She's precious to you. Help me to do this. And guess what's going to happen? Your wife's going to be like, wow, he, he really did have the house clean. Or he really did help out with this or help out with that. Or he really did hear me. That's what's going to happen. And again, it'll have to be revisited and you'll have to repray it. Because again, yesterday's grace is not enough for today or next week necessarily. But, but the reality is there's optimism. This knowledge can be gained in multiple ways. I mean, it can be gained just by mere observation of cause and effect. Husbands, you know what works and what doesn't work and what brings peace and what doesn't bring peace. Harsh words don't bring peace. Not to say that sometimes there don't need to be firm stances on things. I think that there, there are. It can be gained by date nights. Right? Date nights can be good, just at this level. Where you and your wife can talk. Being gained by special trips, if you do getaways, whatever, if you have the availability to do that. But primarily, it's in the everyday, where the wife just feels heard and considered. I think that's pretty crucial. That she feels heard and considered. As you do these things, you will know your wife. And you do this as someone who is weaker. Since she is a woman. And one thing I want to say here is that this weakness is tied to her femininity. It has to do with the fact that she is a female. It does not have to do with a cultural weakness. Some people take this text to say that the weakness here is the vulnerability she experienced in a society that marginalized women. Well, that may have been true, but that's not fundamentally what Peter's after. Peter is saying there's something in a woman that makes her weaker than the man. Now the language here again, I don't love the translation of the NAS. It's literally with with the weaker ve- sorry, with the weaker vessel. She is the weaker vessel. That's the language. The the term vessel has to do with jar, container, that kind of thing. I think in the Old Testament it's used of clay pots. But think of Paul's statement in 2 Corinthians 4, where he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay or in earthen vessels. He's talking about the deposit of the gospel, the Holy Spirit given. This is what Paul or Peter is thinking of here, that she is a vessel fashioned by the Lord, a special creation of the Lord, in whom the Lord has put his spirit. At least in this instance, because she's a believing woman, I would argue. But she's the weaker vessel. Now, just to think through a little bit what the text is saying. It doesn't mean she's weak, period. 
We don't want to say that. It's, she's weaker by comparison. So that's important. You know, the idea of weak, just weak by itself, just assumes one person. But Peter says that she's weaker. So it assumes a comparative party. So who is she weaker than? Well, she's weaker than the husband. I think that's clear. What may not be as clear, and where it seems like (laughs) there's the hot topic of, in what sense is the woman weaker? So everything I'm about to say is sanctioned by Paige. So, and I think it would be sanctioned by a lot of you women, honestly. Hopefully all of you, but I don't know. We'll see. No, she, she did give some input, but I'm responsible, ultimately. So in what sense is a woman weaker? Spiritually? I think Paige would say yes, but I, I don't think that that's what Peter would say. Because you did say that. But I don't think that's true. I think you can't read instances of, especially these women in the Old Testament, women in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, and go away thinking that, that her faith, that a woman's faith is inherently weaker than the man's. Unless there's some nuance there that I'm missing. I don't think spiritually that the woman is weaker. Certainly that she has any less of the Holy Spirit. Certainly not. Intellectually, I would say absolutely not. I mean, there are some pretty strong female figures throughout time that have been very intellectually capable. I mean, you can't hardly hear Candace Owens without being shamed intellectually. Um, Margaret Thatcher. Um, There are so many women that we could mention that have massive intellects, sharp as a tack. So I don't think it's intellectually. I don't think it's... I just don't think it's, it's that way. Definitely not with oratory skills, those kinds of things. Physically, I mean, unequivocally, yes. Right? A woman is, is, is weaker in this sense physically. Now, you know, American mainstream media doesn't want you to think this. Matter of fact, they want to portray that a woman is not significant unless she is as physically strong as a man which, again, is a fool's errand. Nature tells us this. Um, You know, hence the uproar in the athletic arena, right? When men identifying as women are there competing in swimming and running against biological women, they have an unfair advantage. Why? Because they're men. They're physically stronger. I mean, the strongest man is stronger than the strongest woman. It's It's just that way. And that's okay. It's okay. God has fashioned men to be stronger physically. But let me also say that as this pertains to pain thresholds, an ability to endure sickness even, I'd say we're probably a notch under a woman. I mean, I've seen my wife labor with five. And to be honest, I don't even know that I remember any tears. 
the Lord gives us a massive strength in that. There probably was tears, but I'm talking about during labor and delivery, not after. Plenty of tears after. But there's also an emotional weakness, I think. And a lot of people shy away from this, and I'm not sure why. I guess it's just afraid. But I think the reality is there's an emotional fragility, an emotional weakness that a woman has. Something in their constitution makes a woman more emotionally fragile. In other words, a woman is more prone to being hurt or or being offended than a man. There's an emotional sensitivity that must be recognized. I think this is why Peter brings it up to husbands, so that they will recognize this. I mean, normally, when we have jobs that there are problems that arise, I'm a project manager, I do construction, just for those of you who don't know, residential remodeling, So usually, you know, when problems arise and fires happen with regard to this wasn't built right or this wasn't painted right or the tile's crooked, it's not usually the husbands that come with tears. It's usually the wife. It usually is. And it happens when the fires occur, which aren't very common with solid construction, but when they happen, um, it's usually the woman. I can't think of the last time a man was sitting there in puddles in front of me when the tile was laid crooked um, or when the cabinets had a a style that was two inch instead of inch and a half, which actually happened recently. Um, But there's an emotional sensitivity, an emotional fragility that I think a woman has. Um, this This is actually a beautiful trait, to be honest. It's a beautiful trait when the fact that that Women put the color of emotion more in humanity, I think, than a man. I think that they feel deeper in some sense. I don't know if feel deeper. But, but there's more empathy. There's more sympathy. There's, there, there's more nurturing. This, this can make them wonderful comforts in times of grief. In war, typically it's the nurses that come along the soldiers, come alongside the soldiers, right? There's that bedside manner. You know, they wouldn't want me. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I mean, I try to be comforting, but. It's, it's the women. This nurturing side. You know, even in the book of Isaiah, God says that, that he styles himself as a, as a mother caring for his children and that he will not forget them. There's this nurturing side to God that's present in women. This is why mothers are typically the ones kids go to when they get hurt. Typically. Unless there's no other options and dad is there. Um, no, that's not always true. But it, but, but it is always true that a woman typically has this, this sensitivity that a man sometimes doesn't. Now, it can be dangerous. It can lead women to a place of maybe undue sympathy where when bringing up the truth to bear on a situation that needs correction or challenge, this cannot be met well. In other words, there was a time here at New Covenant where there was a woman who um, was ministering to alleged abused women And when some of the ladies here tried to help these abused women in the truth and bring these women the gospel, we were labeled unloving and not being the friends they needed because we were bringing them the truth. And I think that she let her emotional sympathies get in the way of truth. That's sort of a a way it can go. And that's why it's important for women to rein in their emotions and think objectively, if possible, on these things. 
but it can go in a bad way. Our strengths can become our weaknesses. It could also be why Paul tells a woman not to teach. He gives two reasons in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. He brings up the fact that the woman was deceived. There is just something in Eve that, that, made, that, that gave Satan the, the propensity to target her. There was a deception. There, perhaps she's more susceptible to cave and warfare. Satan knew this. He went after the weaker one in that sense. Here's Satan wisely, craftily going for the woman because he knows she is weaker. Perhaps he knew she would entertain his arguments more than the man would. He knew maybe that she would think more emotionally, which opened doors to error, perhaps even with good intentions. It seems that Paul is saying something like that, more likely to lose objectivity when the pressure comes and hence be open to deception by words or arguments. So all this to say that the weaker vessel here, this is the designation God gives the woman. And this doesn't speak at all to her being inferior in value, dignity, image of God, but her physical weakness and her more emotional sensitivities and special regard we should have for them with that in mind. Made me think of the fact that this weaker vessel speaks of someone who a husband must handle with care. I think that's what Peter's getting at here. That husbands must handle their wives with care. Maybe I'll illustrate it this way. Think of, so we have some common dinnerware at our house. And we, then we also have fine china at our house. With our common dinnerware, we have these plastic blue plates. The kids can drop them, kick them. You can microwave them. You can use them inside or outside. You know, there's probably one in the yard right now to be honest. Um, But if my wife's china was found in the yard, this would be a complete, you know, someone from our family wouldn't be here this morning. (laughs) A wife's china is completely different caliber than the common dinnerware. The china is kept in a cabinet only to be brought out at special occasions, arguably much prettier, far more expensive than the common plastic ones we use, but they are also more fragile, more easily broken. So I think when Peter is saying that husbands, women are weaker, he's saying they're more fragile, incredibly precious, and must be handled with care. The way you handle fine china is far different than the common dinner plate. The fine china, you're careful to carry and set. The fine china, you hand wash with care. Some of you husbands treat your wives like common sandwich plates. And you shouldn't. Because they are precious and fragile. You don't treat them like one of your employees or business partners. You don't treat them like one of the guys. You treat wives like this, you'll make it harder for them to keep a warm heart for you. That's just the truth. It it will. They will begin to be cold. All of a sudden, you won't hear them talking to you very much because 
They're having to manage this war within when you constantly neglect them or treat them like an associate. But I think it is good for the wives, too, to know your weakness. I think it is good. I think it is good to know that. It's not, a, it's not, a, it's not an immoral thing that, it, that, it's a, that you're weaker. That's not an immoral thing. It's just how the Lord has wired you. In many ways, I think God is, God's, women are God's gift to the world to help us to stop and smell the roses because the roses are from the Lord. All the beauty there. You know, men are very sort of black and white, sort of boring in, in, in a lot of ways. Women bring color and life and emotion. But it can be your weakness. It can lead to emotional instability. And the, the husband that, it, that God has given you can complement and balance you in these things. So you dwell with her according to knowledge because she's weaker. And you know that. You understand that you cannot, you have to be careful on what you ask and how you ask. There's a skill to that. There's a skill to that. You have to be very careful. Remember, I think Steve always says this at every wedding, that a woman is to submit herself to the man, right? The husband cannot make her submit, and it would be a mistake for him to try. So dwell with her as someone weaker, and show her honor... The idea of showing her, or show, show her honor, show her is this idea of a portion or a, or a lot or give. So this, this idea that you allot her honor, you apportion out to her honor. It's a term of value, this idea of honor. A term of, of estimation or price. In some, in some places, it's almost synonymous with worship. All will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. I mean, that's pretty intense. Now, I'm not saying you worship your wife, but what I'm saying is, in that context where Jesus is saying, you give the same value to Jesus as you do to the Father, right? And that's the highest value, the highest price. Well, here this word is allocated to the woman. And how valuable is she? Well, I mean, I, I would probably argue that a woman... A wife is the most valuable possession you have as a husband. I don't know how to value children and wives and all of that, but I do know that she is a precious possession. I'm always struck in Genesis 2 when the Lord fashions the woman, the man's asleep, the Lord fashions the woman, he wakes up and he brings her to the man. Just so moving. God's precious gift to the man. God's gift. And God's direct gift is this precious woman. You must show her honor. You must give her esteem and value. He's saying husbands must esteem and value their wives in, in, in every way, in word and in deed. And you must make her know that that's true for you. I think fundamentally here, to honor means to make her feel special. To make her feel special. My dad recently was in a ceremony where he was awarded the quilt of valor. Uh, I'd never heard of it before. Um, it, was an interesting, it was an interesting ceremony there 
But uh, the Department of Defense actually states that it's the highest honor that can be bestowed by a civilian on a veteran. Um, I think my dad at first just thought it was kind of like, okay, well, that's nice, you know, I'll go and this and that. But it was, it was pretty special. It was pretty special. What they do is they, these, these um, there's a whole group of them, people that make quilts, and some of these quilts are amazing. They'll make these quilts and they'll, they'll make them to honor veterans. And there'll be a ceremony and they'll specify the things that this particular veteran did and then they'll come up to you and they'll lay the quilt over you and you're, you're highlighted and you're honored in that way. It's really, it's really an amazing ceremony in that sense. It's very moving. But that's the idea. You want to make sure your wife is not sort of in the background of your mind and heart. She gets the spotlight. You want her to feel loved. You want her to feel special. So, when you tell your wife, go take a break, I got the kids, this is honoring. When you tell her thank you for the genuine hard work she's put in during the day to benefit the family in some way, this is honoring. This, these kinds of words to a wife are very important. Men, this does not come naturally to us to do that. But it's very powerful for a woman. Very powerful. When you take time to listen to your wife, this is honoring. When you go up and hug her or you kiss her, you show her honor. When you open the door for her, you show her honor. When you veer your eyes away from the young woman dressed inappropriately, you honor your wife. When you do the heavy lifting, you honor your wife. When you pray with her, you honor your wife. When you pray for her, you honor your wife. When you speak scripture to her, you honor your wife. When you remind her of her Savior, you honor your wife. All of this is honoring. But when you're harsh with her, when you don't listen to her, when you don't show her affection, when you're constantly sarcastic with her, when you don't seek intimacy with her, and you don't praise her for her genuine accomplishments, you dishonor your wife. And that is a dangerous place to be, Peter's about to say in a minute. Hmm. But you show her honor. You show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Fellow heir of the grace of life. What does this mean? I don't think Peter is speaking here of life in general, like she's just alive. That is, in some sense, gracious of God every day to keep us alive. We don't deserve that. And I don't think... I don't think that this also is just a, a sort of a, a synonymous way or a, a, another way of saying that she's married. The grace of life equals marriage. Um, in other words, Peter would be saying, honor your wife because after all she's in this marriage too. I mean, that's true. But I don't think that's compelling on what Peter means here. I think that Peter is assuming that she is a Christian bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. I think this for a couple of reasons. Whenever he uses the term here, fellow heir, when Peter uses the idea of inheritance, he's usually thinking of the internal inheritance that only believers enjoy. And when he uses the idea of grace, believers are the only ones that participate in grace in this letter. Chapter 1, verse 10, Peter says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiries. And there's other places too. 
Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think the grace here that is experienced is the grace experienced by believers only. In life, I think Peter sees unbelievers as dead before they know Jesus and alive after they know him. In chapter 4, Peter says, For the gospel is for this, has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. So I think that the living here has to do with those who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're dead. So I think that I think here that Peter is referring to, to a wife who's a believer. She's a fellow heir of the grace of life, eternal life, life from Christ, because of the gospel. But I don't want to say that, that the un, if you're married to an unbelieving wife, there's, there's nothing here for you. I think that the same scriptures of honoring your wife apply. She's still your wife. She's still the one to whom you are bound in marriage by divine decree. And she too is made in God's image, worthy of love and dignity and honor. And honoring her and loving her like Jesus loves the church may compel her to become a Christian. And also just remember, she too is a candidate to become an heir of the grace of eternal life. So all these things. So it still applies even if your wife is not a believer. But I do think here Peter has an assumption here that the wife is a believer. I think I'm going to stop here. I think I'm just going to stop. There's, there's a lot more here and I don't want to gloss over it because there's some rich terms here with air, grace of life, good gospel stuff. So I'm just going to stop here. And just, because and we have life chain too, we want to eat lunch and all that too. But guys, I just, husbands in particular, we're going to get to the, to the part here where, where we can really feel the importance of this, of honoring our wives, and I want us to all take it to heart. The, the reality is that if you want to be fruitful in your Christian life, you've got to get your priorities straight with regard to honoring your wife. And um, I'm so thankful for that term, that idea. Again, it's not precept down in the details, but it filters into all the details. It really just has to do with loving, considering her interest more than your own. Right? So, husbands, you know, you'll end up getting uh, another one next week. Or in a couple weeks. So, spend a lot of time on husbands. Proportionally. So, let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminders of how precious these, these women are. Um, Lord, and I just pray that if any woman is in here that still sort of coming to terms with who you've made them and who they are, uh, Lord, that they would just see these words as precious, that they would see these things as, as um, Lord, as, as, as instructive, as freeing, as, um, as strengthening. Lord, I pray for these husbands. I pray, Lord, that we would love our wives, that we would honor our wives. Um, Lord, in the way that truly reflects the value that they are to us. And they are to you. Lord, you take these things personally. And so, Lord, just pray you would do these things, that our families would be strong here at New Covenant. And, um, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.